Blind Shots Podcast. I'm your host, David Hill, coming to you from my daydreams of racing the sun to the horizon from the fairway with a carry bag slung over my shoulder and one of my sons on each side of me. And this is Season 4, Episode 4. The opening line of the following podcast interview is neither hyperbole nor flattery. My guest Lawrence Donegan's essay, titled Adventures in Junior Golf from McKellar Number 5, really was the most important article I've read since my kids were born. In it, Lawrence examines the youth sports industrial complex through the lens of his experiences as the dad of a junior golfer, weaving tales of woe and lessons learned together with the good, bad, and ugly he's observed from others along the way. He graciously spends about 45 minutes talking me through the origin of the piece, what's gotten better or worse since he wrote it, and whether there's any hope for the kids in the future. Hope you find it as entertaining as enlightening, and that you've heard it before it's too late. If you haven't read the piece I'm referring to, luckily for you, issues of McKellar No. 5 are available from the McKellar website at mckellarmagazine.com. Number 5 is a great issue, and I'm not just saying that because Lawrence is a co-founder of McKellar, and I happen to have a short article on Park Mammoth in the back pages of said art issue number 5. I can afford to give McKellar these free plugs because the Blind Shots podcast is sponsored exclusively by me, David Hill, Realtor. In addition to playing, talking, and writing about golf, I'm a licensed Kentucky Realtor with Rector Hayden Realtors. I work with buyers and sellers to make the dream of homeownership possible, and I work with investors and entrepreneurs on their commercial property needs. If you want to know what's happening in real estate in the central Kentucky market, give me a call, shoot me an email. You can find my contact information at davidhill.rhr.com. Now get your ears prepared for an accent of distinction from golf writer, journalist, publisher, and bassist of the former band Lloyd Cole and the Commotions, Lawrence Donegan. Well, I'll say this. In McKellar number five, you wrote what's been for me the most important essay I've ever read as the dad of two small kids. That was your, seriously, Adventures in Junior Golf. Yeah. And your subheader, the, the Youth Sports Industrial Complex and How to Leave It Behind. Now, as I mentioned to you before, I've got, my kids are seven and tomorrow the little one turns five. Yeah. So I have been, now they, they like swinging a golf club, yeah. but I'm coaching them in t-ball. I'm coaching soccer or, Amer- or football, as you would call it. Amer- yeah. I, uh, you know, I, I'm so far down the line. I now call it soccer. I mean, okay. It's- good enough. Um, so, but that was a piece, it kind of your journey being yeah. a, an elite golfer's dad, a junior golfer's dad. Yeah. So um, I just wanted to start there and kind of go forward on the the junior golf scene and the junior golf experience. How did you get to the point that you could write that article? Uh, well, what was the journey? Well, let's, I, I want to say a couple of you, 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 you called my son is called is Niall or okay. our son. I hate my son. It's our son. His mom, Maggie, is much more important in shaping him than I ever, <laughs> ever was. But he's a junior golfer. He's not an elite golfer. I, I really hate the, uh, the one that you talk about that piece in issue five of McKellar, the this the youth sports industrial complex. I was very proud of that. I think I, I think I came up with that phrase, and it describes exactly what it is. Uh, it is a, it's basically a, it's a commercial uh, it's a commercial world, it's a commercial business. Uh, so the, you know, trading on the dreams of kids and the dream more you know more uh, perniciously the dreams of adults. Um, as for me, well, my son, he's now, he's just turned 17. He's going to play golf at uh, Northwestern, great school. Yes. Um, but he, uh, well, I was, a, I was a golf correspondent. He, the day Niall was born uh, was the first day of the 2005 Open Championship at St. Andrews. Uh, it was the one day I was allowed off that week. I was the Guardian's <laughs> golf correspondent. So I took the Thursday off. It was, a, I mean, not to get too personal, but it was, a, you know, we knew the time and date of the birth, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so he was steeped. He was always going to be steeped in golf. I mean, I loved golf. I still do love golf. Uh, he picked up, uh, I don't know, probably two or three pla- the usual stuff, plastic mm-hmm. golf clubs. Um, but, uh, and he's just basically progressed all the way through now. He's sort of, you know, various stages. But I, I would have to. Well, let me put it to you this way. When, yeah, go on. when did he take an interest in playing golf competitively or in the alternative? Right. When did you take an interest in him playing golf competitively? Right. That, that's a really great distinction, David, because I, it was, I took an interest in him playing golf competitively. I'm not really particularly sure that he 
was that interested uh, because he was playing, and again, I made sure of this, he played lots of football, soccer, he played lacrosse, he played basketball, obviously, he played, he, he didn't actually play uh, American football, but he played, he, he, he trained with the team. We just wouldn't. Actually, he briefly flirted with the punter. <laughs> but there's not, you know, there's not much punting in JV football, you know. That's, uh, it's, uh, it's everybody goes for everything on fourth down, you know. Um, so he, you know, he played, uh, God, I could go through, I, I, uh, volleyball was another one. Uh, he played ever, absolutely everything. So this, uh, this, his was not a Tiger Woods experience. Where It, it was, was definitely, it was not, um, I similar because I knew a little bit about that world because I, I actually interviewed Errol Woods in 2003. I went to the house in uh, Valencia uh, in Southern California and, and I, I knew quite a lot about Tiger's... Uh, I mean, Tiger was a... Tiger fooled everybody, David. I, I wrote a piece once. Tiger won 52 junior events in a row in Southern California. That is... I mean, if you if you've ever been to a, you know if you've ever been to a junior golf event, you got to appreciate it. that's just it's just mind blowing. Um, so I kind of knew a bit about that. I knew a bit. Actually, I got on pretty well with Errol. Errol's a really kind of. Um, I mean, he was weird. Errol. And he had all sorts of quirks, and you know, I'm sure he wasn't the greatest dad or husband in the world. But uh, you know, he was an amazing. I mean, he you know he he had some amazingly groundbreaking ideas. And raising a, a, a prodigy, uh, but we, you know, it was not anything I was ever interested in uh, that we were ever interested in as a family uh, for a couple of reasons. One, it's it's incredibly expensive. Two, we have better things to do with our weekends. And three, I just think it's a, a bad bad thing for kids. So, to, to, you know, but so now we probably started playing. He would probably play. I uh, played a U.S. kids is is. I mean, they're all terrible, these tours, but US Kids is it's pretty local. Uh, so he would have played, I would have think he would have been nine, nine or 10, and he would have gone out and played a, you know, a couple of tournaments a year. Um, was, that thought, ex- was that experience, what you found there, that, that early entree, was that what you expected in any way? I was astonished by the level of uh, cheating. And the, the parental madness, I, I really was. I'll never forget. It was maybe about the second tournament ever. It was just hilarious. Uh, and uh, there was me and another dad and this other dad, the kid, the dad of this big kid. What you find in junior sport is it's basically size relative. You know, the biggest kids always win. I mean, that's really what you're measuring. Um, <laughs> but, so this weird tootling around, whatever, you know, I don't know what now, 45. Good score, actually. I, but we get to the end, and this kid who'd been winning all these tournaments, whatever, and then the the they get to the end of a hole, and the guy, one of the the other dad says to the guy, the dad of the kid, uh, what did little Jimmy score on that? Oh, that was a five. And the, the dad I went, What? What? <laughs> Looking at incredulity. <laughs> and so I mean the, what was going was that the kid would have an eight or a nine or something and the dad would, you know count five, you know, and put it in and that, that's fine. But the only I mean, who gives a shit? But the only problem is kids are playing for trophies. Every kid likes a trophy, don't they? Right. You know, uh so so that that was that was quite mind-blowing that A, that you know, what are you teaching your kid was the first thing I thought. What are you teaching your kid? And B are you so crazy that you that you would cheat so that your kid could win uh, this you know golf tournament? So uh, that's who, that's how Niall started. And again, like a lot of kids, his is not a unique story. You know, you kind of step it up. Uh, well, well let's do some. Let's yeah. let me do some level setting for the audience because yeah. I came up. I'm 43 years old. I came yeah. up at the time that the youth sports industrial complex was just getting off the ground. Yeah, when I played. There was you played for your high school. Yeah. Maybe you played for your local, no, I didn't play golf. I didn't come up in golf. I came up in a traditional American sports, baseball, basketball, football. Yeah. Yeah. But you, you played for your high school. That was the big, like that's where recruiters came to see you. And then they were just starting with the AAU basketball with the, the passing league on the football Yeah. travel baseball, which is, is made dwarf golf because of just the sheer number of kids involved where it, it's, and now that's where the guys with the radar guns to see how fast little Johnny can throw the, the fastball and how far his brother can hit it comes in. What does that look like in the golf space? Cause you do have 
Yeah. I mean, you have state championship golf that's related to the schools, but then yeah. you've got all of these, you know, AJ, I can't even get to all the acronyms, yeah. right? Yeah. US kids, junior golf, PGA yeah. junior golf. Yeah. Uh, well, it's, uh, I've got experience on both sides. I've got uh, the UK and the US, but let's just deal with the US. The US is uh, high school golf is recreational golf. It's guys hanging out with their buddies. Nobody watches it. Nobody recruits at it. You know, it doesn't, unless you get to, you know, Cal State Championships. Then if you're a kid who's playing high school golf and you're kind of competing in the top three at the Cal high schools, you know, that, you know, likes of, um, I think Xander Shoffley won that. Luke Potter, this great kid at, um, at uh, he's gone to ASU this year. Uh, he's a freshman at ASU. He he, I think he won it a couple of years ago. So at that level, you know, coaches might look, but they're already looking at you anyway. So there's that. So you can dismiss high school golf. It's not really, uh, but it really is. You, it it kind of starts straight away when there's something called junior golf scoreboard. They're ranking eight, nine, ten year old kids in the country. They're, that, they're, so that's where it really starts. So how do you get? Um, See at the root of this, Dave. I'm sorry, I'm jumping over. And the they're, they're this, doing they're doing that because they're making money somehow. On of course, that, they right? are. Well, yeah, they're making money. You know, they're making money. If you want to be, uh, it, it, if you want to know where your kid is ranked in junior golf scoreboard, there uh, you pay. I don't know what it is, fifty pound, fifty dollars a year, whatever. And then there's various grades you can pay two hundred dollars. So there's somebody, and you, you know, every kid in America's parents have, you know. Are, are registered in junior golf scoreboard because everyone is the one to go around and say, "Oh, well, my kid's the seventeenth best player in Idaho." You know, he's the seventeenth best for fourteen-year-old in Idaho. So that's what that's what's going on there. Uh, so h- how do you get up in the juniors? Uh, the, the this ranking system, you got to start playing tournaments. So there are in my area, Northern California. It's really quite good. It's one of the best. It's, what, uh, it's got uh, the junior tour in Northern California. It's relatively cheap. You know, i.e., the entry fees are maybe 150 bucks or 175 dollars. Uh, is, is that a year-round pursuit, or do they jam that into the entire summer? No, no, it's year-round pursuits. So, you know, so they'll probably run about 30 tournaments a year. They're pretty well-run tournaments, uh, run by really. It really is about as good as an experience as you can get as a junior golfer. Uh, it's all via, you know, via, so that's a pretty good. But again, to do well at that, at that kind of level, let's call it. Uh, not local, let's call it sub-regional level, but that's not going to be enough for you, you know. I mean, it'll get you some, you know, because the, the, the pursuit of the ranking is, a, is in, in the essence, a pursuit of the college scholarship. To really do it, you have at the apex of American Junior Golf, you have something called the American Junior Golf Association, which is, uh, that is the, you know, the youth sports industrial complex. Is that the, is that the group that, that goes to Torrey every year, goes to Torrey Pines? No, that's okay. very interesting. I, can I have a quick detour on this? Oh, sure. Interesting. Uh, that is the IMG. It's now called the IMG World Championship. That used to be the absolute peak of junior golf in the world. Uh, the, because every uh, year, all of these juniors would descend into every, San Diego. That's where, I mean, Tiger won it two or three times. Phil and Ernie battled it out as two 16-year-old or two 17-year-olds. That is the absolute, that was the absolute pinnacle. However, in recent years, that's gone into uh, into slight decline simply because uh, to do well there, uh, there's not enough ranking points attached to that that event for some particular reason. God knows what it might be some algorithm or it might be some lobbying on behalf of somebody. But they, that junior the Tory Junior World Championship is no longer what it once was. You, unfortunately, I'm going to press pause here with you. Do you understand how insanely parallel this sounds to what's happening in professional golf right now? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Honestly, Dave, I could go on about this for it's hilarious. Um, in the piece that you refer to, a guy called Aaron Hersfeld. Aaron used to run the GTNC. Brilliant guy. He's now the head of golf down somewhere in Monterey. Uh, and I said to Aaron, you know, if you could do something to improve the, the junior golf landscape, what would it be? And he would say, abolish. He said, abolish rankings. Yes, he did. He did because rankings affect everything. They affect everybody's behavior. Uh, and it's, it's just as pernicious. Uh, and it really is. It's kind of gruesome in a way. Imagine ranking 12 year old kids in Idaho. I, I mean, it's just, I mean, if you want to, I'm not saying you should do that. Uh, there's a lot of stuff at the weekend about Charlie Woods. Uh, 
you know, if you want to, you can go and look at Charlie Woods' ranking on GTNC as, as a, whatever he is, 12 or 13-year-old. Uh, but at the, the peak of all of this is this AG, the AG, um, the American Junior Golf Association is, I mean, that's where they all came, a lot of these guys came through, Zalatoris, Spieth, Thomas, that famous picture of, of Spieth and Thomas JT eating hamburgers, uh, this is the side of a putting green or whatever, that's right. from an AG, AGGA event. Those guys, so that is seen as the the way to 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 get you know to uh, you know to work your way through the system get into a very good college most of the college coaches recruit from the AGGA most of the media I mean all of the mediocre ones and very few of the very very best ones uh, um so I would say to you or to anybody go and look at like Wake Forest for instance the, 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 a perennial power in golf for people that don't and produce great players uh Cameron Young, okay. Cameron Young never played in an AGG event because he went to Wake Forest, uh, and and Jerry Haas at Wake Forest. Those guys at Wake Forest, they don't really look uh, at AGGA. They look at so this is there's another world running in parallel. So Young would have played New York State events, Met State events. So there's that, you know. Uh, so there's that. Uh, that's the route that we decided to ultimately to take with Nile because. Uh, a AGG is inc- inordinately expensive. The entry fees are 300 500 $300 to three hundred fifty dollars. If you play in an AGG event, you have there's not many, and you know you have to kind of fly. There's a lot of flying involved. So a mom or dad flies with the kid. Uh, you got to stay down. It's two or three day event. Uh, they stay in a hotel. There's food. There's entry fees. There's you got to pay for a practice round. And you're playing on a golf course uh, that you could probably go the following week and play for 30 bucks, 20 bucks. Yeah, that's, I, I know that's been a common complaint of yours in, in the various rants I've heard is that they're not playing top tier golf courses. Well, they're, they're, well, they're not. I'm, I'm not saying that they should, but they shouldn't be charging $350. Um, so, uh, so by the time you've done a, your, uh, your AGGA event, uh, you're probably you're in the hole for $1,500 to $2,000. That's one event. So ultimately, what you discover is that uh, the AGG is obviously measuring good players because they they turn up good players, uh, but they're also measuring just how how wealthy are your family, how much time can uh, is this is true, how much time can your family devote to this uh, pursuit, uh, and can you can you afford it? So uh, if you go to an AG, actually this is true, unique, it's true everywhere you go uh, at elite junior golf. Uh, there's not many minorities playing. I'll tell you that. Well, I believe that very easily. You've touched on all of my questions. Someone have to unpeel. I'm sorry. Yeah, sure. Yeah, no, no, you're, this is great. The, you know, you, you mentioned the colleges and that everyone is chasing a scholarship. Now you've got a great quip in the article that, you know, why are you spending upwards of a hundred thousand dollars chasing a $25,000 scholarship that you could have just paid the tuition for the kid? Um, which, so there's, yes, there's an insanity about it. Um, is that true? Now we're talking, your son is a, a piece. You share your journey in there. Is the same true on the lady side? Because it seems like the professional circuits are so much younger on that side. Are the, are, are, is, the, is there a parallel universe for junior women golfers just I, like there is men? I, I, I really, can't, really can't speak with much okay. expertise to that. But, but you know, I'm, I'm sure there is. I mean, there has to be um, because the AGG on the, on the women's side thrives. It absolutely thrives. Uh, I wonder if uh, their contestants are just all younger. <laughs> well, I, I, I get an interesting point. You know, you take from Murray or Lucy Lee, who was uh, played in the US Open at 11. Uh, uh, you, yeah. you know, I just think that the kind of, I don't know if there's a there's a kind of cultural not not there's a kind of cultural difference I think on the women's side that you know it was seen to you know if you want to make it on the PGA Tour it's an enormous leap a huge leap uh, in in standard from the best AGGA player to you know even the Kate the Corn Ferry Tour for instance um, but Lucy Lee went at the age of eleven and played in the US Women's Open I mean you know my my wife worked in athletics briefly in her career yeah. and. I wonder, just watching the ladies' side, I wonder how much like something like gymnastics it is. You know, you see, I live in SEC country, okay, yeah. where sports is a big deal. And, yeah. you know, even the Olympic sports, the, the programs that have good gymnastics teams take yeah. great pride in them. They recruit, they, they give great scholarships. 
but those are not women that are headed on the Olympic path. Like they're, they're too old and they're too big. Their, mm-hmm. their window of opportunity has passed them by. I wonder how much parallel there is on, on women's junior golf, ladies golf, because you have, yes, the American, you know, the American feeder system is designed exactly like you're talking about, get in front of college coaches, get yourself recruited. Yeah. But on, you know, for the people showing up on the tour, what percentage of the, the LPGA tour is fed from colleges? There's a lot of straight to pro, you know, from the global influence. The, well, there is simply because I mean, for, for, I don't know the, 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 the woman's name or the girl's name is she a 15 or 16 year old girl kicking around. Just nothing. She's made, she's qualified for three. She qualified for three successive LPGA tour events. Uh, that, that, you know, so it's easy. And the women's side is, it's a bit easier to visualize you know, the, the, that kind of path, that quicker route. I'll give you a quick, for instance, Now played in a, he played in a pre-qualifier for the Fortinet a couple of weeks ago, makes it through, did pretty well. It gets to the Monday qualifier and he's on the range and fucking Aaron Badley standing on one <laughs> side of him and Grayson Murray standing on the other, you know, and with the best will in the world. <laughs> I mean, you know, neither myself nor Niall would, would could, you know, could ever envisage, you know, in a year's time, you know, teeing up and, you know, imagine that he could play in the, you know, he might lock his way into through a Monday qualifier or he might sneak in through the US Open qualifying. But to, to imagine that you could jump uh, from from the world that he's into that world is, is ludicrous. But I think it's a little bit, uh, well, it might change because the standard of the LPG Tour is, get, is getting deeper and deeper and deeper. And I wonder at some stage whether the, the kind of leap is going to be pretty similar to the men's game. But right now, if I'm if I'm the parents of that 15, 16 year old uh, girl who's qualifying for LPG LPG tour events every time she tees up a qualifier, I'm thinking, oh, hang on a second, she loves it. Why would we? Why would we go to co- why would why would she go to college? Yeah, she can earn if she wants to. She can earn tuition, bank it, and spend that in twenty years when her ten years when her career's over and go. Do and I think else. I think it's pretty similar in a lot of sports now. You know, I think certainly in soccer, uh, the, the that's that window is is dropping. The age window is dropping and dropping and dropping and dropping. Well, you that, can see it. Sorry, that, that brings up something I wanted to talk to you about. You know the. There are academies all over the globe for all the different yeah. sports. You know, soccer being one of the the biggest, you know, one of the most yeah. explicit. You've got all the big clubs in Europe that have academies that recruit junior yeah. talent in-house. So is the is the youth and in sports industrial complex uniquely American? I mean, are there is there a big structural difference between what you know golf academies in South Korea and soccer academies in in England or or Scotland? Yeah. Versus well, kind of, the sports there's, here. There's no such really such thing. And this, you know, you take the IMG complex at Bradenton, you know, the one in Florida, or there's mm-hmm. a, a couple of golf ones in the Carolinas. And those things don't really exist. Um, certainly in the UK. And again, not really in, in Europe that, that that I know of. I can't speak to Asia. I really no okay. idea. Um, you know, at the very most in the UK, there'll be a couple of high schools where they will, you know, have elite golf, elite. I use it, I put that in, in dirty commas. But there's nothing, there's nothing over uh, over there that compares to what we, what we have in the United States. Uh, you know, it's and these places, I, I have no idea what what is, what, why is a pair. Again, everybody has their own route. I would never begin to criticize other people's route. But from my perspective, why would you remove your kid from his his friends that he grew up in elementary school, or her friends that they grew up in elementary school? Uh, you know, home, you're at home with your parents, you're in a loving family environment, and you transport them across the country in the the hope that, you know, they will be transformed from a pretty decent baseball player or softball player or golfer into, okay, decent. I mean, is it really worth it? And, I, and again, at an inordinate cost. I think the social cost of that, the social and psychological cost of that, from certainly from my perspective, would would just be just too much to bear um in your experience and what you've seen being around being around elite athlete golfers and being your son's journey yeah ballpark what are the percentage of the cases that can go from really really good how where then the time and money that their parents can spend get them to elite or does just natural talent win out nine out of ten times no matter Uh, the second one 
okay. the second one. But if, I, if, I, if you're going to send your kid to, uh, let's see, I, let's pick an IMG. They're big enough and ugly enough. Um, you send your kid to the IMG Academy in Florida to play golf. Uh, you know, they might be decent, you, you know, but if they're not really good, I, I think I talked about this the other day to somebody. You know, if you're not born with the innate ability to hit the ball in the middle of the face, you're never, ever really going to be a top, top, top player. You're just not. You know, I mean, I saw Rory McIlroy when he was 16. You know, I could, I, yeah, you could hear the, you could hear the shot. You know, you could hear it. You could hear the sound. Uh, you could see. I'll never forget. Actually, Ricky Fowler was another one. I saw Ricky Fowler at the 2007 Walker Cup. My goodness, it was just mind blowing. Utterly mind blowing. The guy was just a kid. Um, so, but you're sending your average. It's not going to really make much difference. I mean, are they going to be more immersed in golf? Yes. Are they going to get better coaching? Probably not. Uh, uh, really, uh, they're they're probably not. They might, but you might you might be lucky enough to find a, a great pro just in the range next door to your house. Um, so really, no, it's really never. I mean, which great? Look at the uh, look at the what you tend to do with sending your kid to these kind of places is burn them out. Right, you you, you kind of burn them out. So. Is it really worth that? I mean, if your aim is to turn them into an elite athlete or an elite professional golfer, you know, that's a 25, that's a 20-year career. It's, why would you risk burning your kid out at the age of, and these crucial development years, you know, to make them bored with playing golf, to make them hate playing golf, it doesn't seem very sensible. Yeah, that that combining the paper tiger with the kind of middle-class American dream is, is just a fascinating dynamic to me and, and yeah. how, how much of that is at work. I want to get back to your journey a little bit. You quote in your, in that article, you quoted John O'Sullivan and you, you know, you yeah. ask, you ask for advice and he said, learn to let go and learn to love watching your kids play. Yeah. How, how bad did you get before you accepted that notion into your life? What, what uh, a little bit about that journey beat up I on still, yourself. I, I, well, I, I'm still not over it. I, I don't, I don't caddy for now, you know, not, not caddy. I now played in that Monday qualifier recently, his old uh, baseball coach. His old little league coach caddy for him was simply because I, I, I don't even, I can't even follow live scoring yet. But it's not a case of oh god, he better do well. It's just you don't want to, you don't, you don't want to watch a kid not suffer. But you, you know, I'd rather just find out at the end. Uh, you never let go. I, and anybody who says that they do it's just lying. They're just lying. You know, and I, I, I've been a pretty decent golf parent, and I've been a pretty awful golf parent along the way. Uh, but you kind of never let go of, you know, my, I caddy for Niall at the somewhere, open qualifying at Pan Muir in the summer there. And he hits a terrible three. And I, I turned, what did you do that for? And he said, fuck, I didn't mean to do that. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I'm like, what you, why did you hit that three iron 40 yards left of where you were aiming? So you, you, you never get over it. Um, I, it's just a way. How do you handle it? I I, I don't know. I've I, I've never seen. I, I, well, I've yet to see somebody who I thought. Actually, Rory's dad's pretty good. I and I, 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 we we interviewed me, me and John Hogan interviewed uh, Rory. I knew the story, so I wanted always wanted to ask Rory about the story. Uh, he won something called the Mullingar Scratch Trophy at the age of 16 or 7, whatever, as usual, brilliant. Right. And he's in the car back home and he turns to his dad and says, I'm, I'm fed up with this, Dad. I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to play golf anymore. And his dad, br brilliantly, I would have, if it had been me, I'd have freaked out. But Roy's dad said, you know what? Yeah, just put your clubs away. Just put your clubs away for a month. And, of course, after five days, I would his back, clubs out, down the golf course in the piss and rain. Yep. So, but it's incredibly hard because it's it's uh it's simple genetics, you know. It's simple, you know. It's human emotion. You can't. You really can't let go to the the to a one hundred percent extent. So you kind of hold on in some way. You you cling on there in some way. But the, it, and what you're trying to do is manage it. You're trying to manage the situation and get out uh, of your shot. Don't let them get, see you. Don't let them hear you. Yeah, to get out of your shot. Um. You know, yeah, just get out of your shot and get just get out of the sight line, really. Uh, so, a pal of mine was a great, uh, really good um, junior golfer back in Scotland, good, good elite player, ended up playing for, for an international team. And he told me a story about how his dad uh, used to watch him with binoculars. You know, he said, I would look over and I'd see my dad up on the hill about half a mile away or a quarter mile away with a pair of binoculars watching. 
<laughs> I, my dad watched a lot of me through his windshield. You know, I, uh, I was very fortunate to have that. You know, what he couldn't coach me in, uh, but, yeah, but, he watched from the parking lot from the windshield. But but you know what's a great thing is, see, when you do let go, it's, it's phenomenal. Because, I, again, just talking about my own experience, this summer we go home, now gets picked to play for Scotland boys against uh, uh, the European Championship. So he goes to Germany with it. It was magnificent. Took him to the Edinburgh airport, dropped him with the coaches and his teammates and picked him up a week later. And, and it was brilliant. Barely looked at the scores because I was so, I was a thousand miles away. There was nothing I could do. Yeah, you know, so I think obviously it gets better, you know, the older you get, but it's, you never, you never let it go. And anybody who says that they do, they're just simply lying. Well, you mentioned Pan Muir and you mentioned this trip to Europe, but yeah, I want to hear how you arrived at the, whether it's your decision, his decision, a little bit of both. But last year you parachuted out of the U.S. Junior Golf, if I'm, if I've got that correct, and yeah, you headed, I'm, he did. And no, so, we did. No, we oh, did. Yeah. You're right. Yeah, and you're headed to you headed to Scotland for the summer. Yeah, to, to do junior golf. That tell me a little bit about that and just how how different that experience was. Yeah, that was a it was a transformational experience in a couple of ways. One, uh, certainly personally, we had we were playing golf in Scotland. It was you know dad and son playing golf. We were lucky financially. We were in a position to where we were able to do that. Um, so we just knocked around. And, you know we. It was, you know, we had spent a week at Rosa Pena and Donegal, played golf in the new St. Patrick's links. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, so that's, you know, that side of it was amazing. You know, we went, we spent a week in Bristol. Never, you know, he'd never been to I mean, Bristol. We spent a couple of days, but Banksy was based on, you know, who Banksy the artist is. Banksy the artist, the street artist. I mean, you can spend a day in Bristol, walking around Bristol, looking at Banksy's murals. You know, it's just a brilliance. You know, imagine being able to do that. And so that side of things were was was terrific. But in, in a strictly golfing sense, and again, I stress that we are lucky enough that we were able to do that. But for less money than we spent doing on the playing on AGG summer of AGG events, we he played some amazing events against kids he'd never seen before. He uh, on golf courses that were fantastic. You know, we talk about the AGG. You can, you pay three hundred fifty dollars to play in some. Shit track, you can go and play for 20 bucks in, in the next couple of days. So he he played in the 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 Scottish men's um match play at a place called Murker. I mean, Murker is a is a, a not a very famous golf course, but it's a magnificent, it's a jewel up near Aberdeen. So if anybody's up in that part of the world, so go and play, you know, go and play there. Then he rocks up, we rock up to uh, Royal Singports uh for the British boys. I, I again. It's right next door to Ross and George's, an infinitely better golf course. I mean, it really is. Um, so the, there's that side of things. So you have the the kind of the social experience of it, but you also have the golfing experience of it. But you're going to play, you're going to play a Murker and 30 mile an hour wins against men. Is you know, you know that's uh, you know, that is something. Going to play Royal St George's, just a magnificent golf course. Entry fee for the British boys is 90 pounds. You got to play Royal St George's. Uh, sorry, uh, Royal St. Ports for uh, nine times. So, so simply from an economic point of view, that's a pretty smart move, I, th- I think. Um, but in terms of his golf game, it, 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 it earned him a college scholarship. Uh, you know, because here you have a kid in California uh, traveling 5,000 miles from his home and going to play on strange golf courses against strange guys he's never met before. And he's, you know what? That's pretty tough. Pretty tough, yeah, and it's not a real it, because it's not a sink or swim. There's nothing to lose, but in terms of deve- as a developmental experience, it's I mean it's, it's hard to beat. Uh, it really was hard to beat, and and we were lucky. We kind of rolled the dice on it because that's a very important again not to bore on the whole college recruiting process. The year between sophomore and junior at high school is a quite an important year. Um, the what fifth. 15 year old yeah year so old, that's when it, there. you know if you want to play that's when it so we kind of rolled the dice on that a little bit but we just thought you know what similarly because i mean to pat ourselves in the back a little bit you thought well you know what if it goes wrong who cares you know you know the college golf isn't the be all and end no obviously that's what he wanted to do um but you know sometimes you gotta kind of you know lean into your own um what's the word i'm looking for values you know, what, what, what values do we have? You know, our, you know, we love golf. We're a golfing family. 
let's go play some great golf. Uh, let's go, let's go to Scotland, let's go home because we've got lots of family there and, and let's give, give it a go. Uh, I couldn't recommend it. Actually, I noticed a couple this summer, a couple of kids from Northern California did the same thing, which I thought, I mean, no, I thought it's really cool. That's I really think it's the way to go because college coaches take notice. We went back to the British boys this year, I swear to God. Uh, oh, I've never seen so many college golf coaches. It was amazing. <laughs> it was just amazing. So again, if anybody's listening to this and they're you know based in say even better on the East Coast, I thoroughly recommend it. Take a couple of weeks out, go and play. You know, go and play the Scottish boys, the English boys. You know, there's so many tournaments. That's what you when you get over there. There's so many great junior golf tournaments run, and they're so cheap and accessible. Uh, and you could have a just a most wonderful time. Go learn to hit some real golf shots. We're going to learn to hit some, go and play some real golf courses. Go and hit, <laughs> hit some real golf shots. Go and try and hit a, you know, you know, try and hit a two irons, you know, six feet off the ground. And, and you know, we went back this summer, and now I'll never forget. We played at uh, uh, London Links. Obviously, was one of the few successful forties into caddying. A London Lynx, you were hitting, now I was hitting two irons that were carrying maybe 110 and running 130. <laughs> I mean, it was, I mean, it really, I mean, it's something I, else. I know that win. I played leaving, leaving Lynx on my, you know, next door. Yeah. I, I remember that win. That was not a kind win to me. No, that was, uh, but, but, but yeah. So the point, my, was, I mean, the overarching point is, you, you know, Try to do do different, you know. Do, don't follow that kind of well-worn path if it's possible for you. Don't follow that well-worn path. Do something different. Do something that is socially agreeable. Something that you know will add to the tapestry of your family's life, uh, as opposed to jumping on a plane, going to Arizona, rocking up, playing the same kids you see all year, um, on the same golf courses, and then you know looking then looking at your AGGA ranking or your junior golf scoreboard ranking, and and then. You know, ad nauseum repeats, ad, ad nauseum. Whereas you do something like that, uh, and if you if you're in a lucky position, and I believe you me, if you're lucky enough to be running around playing AGG events all year, then you're certainly you could be able to afford to go and play golf in Europe for for yeah. a month in the summer or two or three weeks in the summer. Doesn't sound like the budgeting is all that different. Were the parents as nuts at the British boys, or was it just the same story in in different places? <laughs> It's um, it's pretty much the same story. Okay, uh, but to be honest, I said that and credits. Yeah, I think it's just a little bit more respectful. I think people are just a tiny bit more respectful. The, the atmosphere, the mood isn't so uh, febrile. You know, it's not as you know. You see instances where it's not great, but I mean, my goodness. You know, I, personally, I don't like to walk around and watch my, my kid play golf, but people do. So, I mean, and, and that's fine. And they're, what you find, David, is the higher you go up in junior, the, the more kind of professional it becomes, you know. Right. It, yeah, that kind of madness of the eight year nine year old dads not counting up the score properly. I mean, that all disappears. One of the saddest days. I've ever had on a golf course. I'll tell this quick quip on me. I went out to San Diego on a baseball trip, my college buddies, and I snuck out. They were all hung over. So I snuck out. And the only place I, I wanted to go see the first tea facility down there in San Diego. It's yeah. this little, little place in a park. And it was great. It was the weekend of the British Open. So I was out there trying to chip pitching wedges 100 yards. And I went around one loop, had fun, went around again and got behind these, these couple of dads with could have been six or eight year olds. Yeah. And these dads are just ruining these kids. Like I, I can't imagine they make it to 10 or 11 years old playing golf doing yeah. kind of what you talked about. Like, why did you hit it in that bunker? You know, you shouldn't <laughs> have been aiming there. They're on a mini, they're on a miniature, you know, they're on a par three course and they're yeah. like six or seven years old. I want to contrast that with junior golf got local for me last year on the other end of the spectrum here in Lexington, we've got a, got a Pete die PB die course yeah. called Kearney Hill. The PGA Junior Boys National came yeah. for the championship last year. And I was, you know, I'd heard some horror stories about golf. I was a little bit surprised at, you know, these are the high end. There's all the way yeah. from 18-year-olds. I think the youngest boy in the field might have been 14 or 13. Yeah. No talking from the parents, no interaction between the parents yeah. and the players. They're outside the ropes. Nobody's walking the fairways, no contact. It was quiet. I was working score. You know, I had my little yeah. iPad and I was doing yeah. score for a couple of holes. Yeah. It was just quiet. Some of the kids would 
you could tell were having a good time. They're kind of smiling and yucking it up with each other. Others were being very professional. I mean, they all hit professional yeah. looking shots. It was incredible. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I wondered, you know, it looked like about half the field was playing joyless murder ball golf and the others were yeah. kind of having fun, but all of the parents, they had all just come from somewhere. I think Texas the week before, and they were all going to Pinehurst the next week. Yeah. Like if they didn't, if they didn't make the cut, they were going, maybe they stopped by home, but it was, uh, so that was a little bit sad or my exposure to that, but at least there wasn't the, the horror story of like the eight year old dad asking what happens. Like it was very, and it was enforced. Like there were the, the PG, the guys in the purple shirts and the, that with the, the emblem yeah. were kind of watching and no one was allowed. Why isn't that the model everywhere? Uh, I, well, uh, yes. Yeah, or or is, it, is this just an example of you saying the higher up in the food chain? Yes, it's really, it really, yeah. Yeah. And it just gets everybody kind of chills out a tiny bit more. Yeah. And it's just not because what gets round? I mean, once you kind of weed out, you know, the kind of the what's the, the gene pool, let's say, called the, the golf gene pool, kind of begins, then it's, it becomes quite a small world. And what, yeah. you know, if you're misbehaving, word gets around and, you know, and it's really not great because speaking again, I'm better be careful here, but you speak to college coaches and I mean, very often they're recruiting the kids, but just as much they're recruiting the family as well. I mean, right. they, really, they really are. So I think people are cognizant of that. If you get, you know, the older the kids become, the, you know, people do get, I mean, it's not like, I mean, you still go to baseball games, you know, and, travel baseball and they're still crazy you know these kids are 16 there's still some crazy parents and the you know that really to a huge extent that's kind of go, that that's gone from golf by the time you get to that age yeah they all um, look they all look like they knew each other like there wasn't well, there were no the, there were no strangers yeah there's yeah that that's right it becomes a very again never having been part of it never wanted to be part of it actually my kid was never quotes unquote good enough to be part of it i mean he was never an elite uh, you know, I think the highest ranking now ever was was 800 in America. I mean, who I mean, who get that's simply because we didn't give a shit. You know, we didn't go and play. You know, he didn't go and play. Well, he was playing other stuff. Right. He was doing other things. So, I mean, of course, he wasn't going to be as good as player B or C. Simply because they were full time, basically full time professional golfers, and he had chosen not to be. He'd been he'd chosen another uh, path. I would say a much more. Um, I was wholesome. Well, not so even wholesome, but because uh, yeah, but you know what I mean. Just a bit more. Okay, this is not a sprint. Let's just. I mean, it still isn't. We, I think. I mean, he is so. He thinks he's going to win them. They all think they're going to win the Masters, don't they? Uh, we <laughs> so all. That's, he, why, that's why we play, Lawrence. Yeah. <laughs> so he thinks you know. But even from his perspective, he thinks that you know the kind of college golf experience is just another you know segment of the journey. I mean, that's how. What do you figure the, the burnout rate on junior golfer is? We, oh, we've talked yeah. about how tiny the pyramid is at the top, and that's true in everything. That's across yeah. professions and sports. But from one of my concerns in this is, you know, my example, when my baseball, if I quit baseball, if I'd stopped after my freshman year of high school, that's it. My, I can't come back to baseball later in life. Maybe I can coach yeah. my kids, yeah. but I can't pick up a baseball and a bat and not end up in physical therapy. Same yeah. for football and basketball. Yeah. Golf is a little different. It's a lifetime game, but it yeah. sounds like the, I wonder of the people that make a run at kind of comp competitive junior golf. Yeah. What the burnout rate is. I mean, are these, are these the future club pros? Are these the guys, the men and women that are teaching the next generation or are they getting, do you think they're, they're you know, nails contemporaries are getting as far away from golf for as long as possible? Yeah. There's a, I think there's a really big burnout rate. Again, a really great, Good guy, great. I wouldn't name him, but you know, a really top program college coach. And he was saying, you know what, you gotta love it. The kids that do, you know, the kids that love it, they, they're the ones that you know, they're the ones that keep playing. The kids that you know really want to love golf and want to play golf, uh, they're the ones that 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 will sustain. But there's a lot. The ones who burn out are the ones who basically is the you know, it's the parents pushing them. It's the same old story. It's not you know, it's not an unfamiliar story. Uh, you know, and those kids probably, I'm, I can think of a couple of, and from our area, good little junior players, uh, pushed it, didn't kind of get a college scholarship, and they'll probably never play. They might go, 
you know, play. I was a pretty good player. And, you know, they'll be playing in 10 years' time and they'll be with their pals and insurance. And the pals and insurance think they're amazing players. And that will be the res- residual of, you know, the five years of crazy junior golf uh, dad pushing this down their throat. Um, but there is a, again, I wouldn't, I wouldn't begin to be able to put a, put a number on it, but there's an immense burnout, a, a, a huge burnout at the elite level. What's the end game for the youth industrial sports complex? Is there, can you imagine a day of reckoning no. where this, this craziness, or is it just going to get worse because more money is going to get involved down I, I the line? Think, well, I, do, I think I read something recently about ESPN getting involved in buying sports facilities and, you know, but what, but why, why wouldn't, you know, why yeah. wouldn't, I mean, it's a, it's a pretty lucrative business and, uh, and it's and never they, ended. They like need this. the content. The uh, and but but you need well, it's a very lucrative. I guess the margins are huge. Yeah. I mean, the AGGA CEO is a char- is a charitable. I don't know what they're called over taxes. It's charitable tax status. But the the CEO makes six hundred and twenty thousand dollars a year. Mm-hmm. So it's uh it's a pretty lucrative business. Uh, so why why won't the corporations go go at it even harder? Uh, it's a never-ending supply of, uh, of fodder. Um, everybody's got a dream. Every, well, everybody's got a dream, and everybody's, you know, there's the next generation of kids coming through always. It's like being a barber. You're never going to run out of customers, apart from you and I, obviously. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> um, but the, the so I, I don't see it getting much better. Do I see, uh, I think, I wonder if the message will get through, because I hear the message more and more, much more than, say, 10 years ago. Uh, the the whole you know the thing there is a, an understanding uh, so let's say there's a hundred percent segment of 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 sports parents junior sports parents uh you, you know that segment of people who get it seems to be creeping up getting slightly bigger and bigger every year so i'm never going to say it's going to get huge it'll never be the majority but i, I you know in terms of like i and yeah i think that it will get get slipped. i, I, I wonder slipped. if that case is as the kids that came, as I mentioned, I didn't come up in the, the industrial sports complex. It was just yeah. fledgling. Yeah. But everybody behind me came up in that environment. That's so a very I, good point. Yeah. I wonder I if wonder. they're a little little wiser, you know, because That's you're, a, yeah. they've been selling the dream to your generation. It's like, hey, you give me the money and I'll yeah. give you the opportunity and make your kid a star. Yeah. And maybe, maybe guys my age know, well, that's just crap. That- <laughs> that's a, that's a very, that's a really good point. I think that the, inf- there's a lot of information out there about, I mean, you, you, you talked to again about guys like John Sullivan, I think I can't remember what his organization's called, but he does a lot of really good podcasts about youth sports and, mm-hmm. you know, and speaks to a lot of good coaches. The message gets through, for instance, I think, I don't know who, I can't remember. Oh, it might've been, um, I don't really know much about college football, but still, I don't know who won the Oki State coach won when he won the national championship. He put a thing that was a, put a tweet. It's a really amazing tweet, very influential. Uh, I've recruited forty eight guys on this team, or whatever. Forty six of them were multi sports athletes. Yeah, no, th- that um, message is out. That that in I hear so, that a lot. Yeah, so that you know, and that message is uh, is everywhere. Uh, you speak to any college, any college golf coach, and they'll say, "Oh yeah, I, I mean." Whether or not they actually implement this philosophy, but they always say, "Yeah, I'm always looking for multi-sports athletes. I'd rather have a guy." You know, so the days of, you know, the kids, you know, ten-year-old just totally ground down by golf gets to you know wins the U.S. Junior Ram twice and then goes to start a kid called Jim Liu. Uh, it was a very famous case, probably the best junior golfer since you know Tiger Spieth uh, gets to the college college and 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 stops playing golf after a year. He was a great player uh, and just a complete burnout. I think that kind of the message is out. So I, I think the, the proportion of people who kind of get it is is definitely increasing. They'll never reach a majority. But the as for the, the the youth sports industrial complex, no. I mean it's a very lucrative business. Why won't it continue? And probably get more pervasive in ways that you and I would never begin to understand. But I'm sure somebody in corporate H, HQ will. Uh, just get the get the hedge funds on it. Well, there, there you go. Get, get, get your private equity in there, and then nothing well, bad will happen. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Hey, thanks for stopping by for this episode of the Blind Shots Podcast. It's always fun to hear Lawrence Hackles get up about something. 
I'd be remiss if I didn't tell you that Lawrence is also the host of the McKellar podcast, which you can find on all the major podcast services. I'd encourage you to check it out. You always find somebody interesting to chat with. After you've purchased your copies of McKellar number five and number six, take one minute to head over to Apple Podcasts or whichever podcast service you're listening from and leave a rating and review for the Blind Shots podcast. Each time someone leaves a five-star rating for this show, I bite my tongue one more time and remind myself, he's just a kid. This is supposed to be fun. Hope you've enjoyed what you heard here today. If you didn't like what you heard or you want me to translate Lawrence into American English, sorry about that. I can't do anything about it now, but I promise to try to do better next time. Remember to hydrate, always sit up straight, and when you have the chance, decide to go for it and take dead aim. Colleen Lawrence's article in McKellar, the most important piece I've read in a magazine since my kids were born begs a question, well, what was the most important article you read before then? And for me, that's easy um, because it's stuck with me for almost 30 years. It's technology and me. It's a snippet of an interview from Kurt Vonnegut speaking to Inc. Technology Magazine. It was reprinted in Harper's Magazine later in 1996 and then presented to my senior English class into that fall or that spring by my brilliant teacher, Dan Zoller, who's now the principal at Trinity High School in Louisville. Hi, Dan. Uh, asked how he feels about living in an increasingly computerized world, Vonnegut responded to it. I work at home, and if I wanted to, I could have a computer right by my bed, but I'd never have to leave it. But I use a typewriter, and afterward I mark up the pages with a pencil. Then I call up this woman named Carol, out in Woodstock, and say, Are you still doing typing? Sure she is, and her husband is trying to track bluebirds out there, and not having much luck. So we chit-chat back and forth, and I say, Okay, I'll send you the pages. Then I go down the steps, and my wife calls. Where are you going? Well, I say, I'm going to buy an envelope. And she says, You are not a poor man. Why don't you buy a thousand envelopes? They'll deliver them, and you can put them in the closet. And I say, hush. So I go to this newsstand across the street where they sell magazines and lottery tickets and stationery. I have to get in line because there are people buying candy and all that sort of thing, and I talk to them. The woman behind the counter has a jewel between her eyes. And when it's my turn, I ask her if there have been any big winners lately. I get my envelope and seal it up and go to the Postal Convenience Center down the block the corner of 47th Street and 2nd Avenue, where I'm secretly in love with the woman behind the counter. I keep absolutely poker-faced. I never let her know how I feel about her. One time, I had my pocket picked in there. Got to meet a cop and tell him all about it. Anyway, I address the envelope to Carolyn Woodstock. I stamp the envelope and mail it in a mailbox in front of the post office, and I go home. And I've had a hell of a good time. I tell you, we are on Earth to fart around and don't let anybody tell you any different. <laughs>